0: This is part six of a seven part series on compliance with the SEC and state law rules. Now it sounds kind of boring maybe, but this is really what you hire a syndication attorney for, is for that that, uh, knowledge that you are in compliance so that way you don't fall victim. You're not going to be somebody who has the SEC coming after them or a state regular. Think about it, nothing else could be more scary than getting a letter from the SEC saying uh, you've been you're under investigation. The whole point of this is to identify and go through. Those main topics, those five big things that I see happening right now to uh, that the SEC and the states are investigating and they investigate more and more. These are my prediction of the five big things that are going to uh, really be ratcheted up over the next few years, from even from where they are today. Now, the topic of this video is the big, big one that I see as probably the most important the one that's going to be the most heavily regulated, and that's again is finders. Paying people in order to help you with raise money uh, for your business, for your fund, uh, for your business. So this video, we're gonna go through in detail what those factors are that the SEC uses. The use of finders when it comes to raising capital for syndication a fund a business, this is the big topic that I think the, the SEC and state regulators are going to be coming at even more. Why do I think that they're going to come, be coming at it even more? Because I see it actually abused more and more over time. So I've been practicing in this field for quite a while. I've done a number of syndications for myself, and I know exactly the temptation that's there. I've been tempted myself by it, and I know that you probably are as well. It'd be swell to just hire a broker-dealer and give the capital raising over to them, but they're a lot of times very expensive, and while they deserve what they get, and they certainly, the good ones, earn every penny that they're worth, It's hard to meet the criteria that it's worth their time in order to do it. They need to be raising a lot of money over a lot of deal after deal after deal. And if it's not there for them, there are other opportunities that just are more appealing to them. Totally understandable. It's a market driven thing. So We need to generally rely on raising money for myself, for ourselves. And we've seen in videos how to do just that. So I have other videos here that you can see that talk about raising money without, without a broker dealer, talk about different online and offline methods, working with friends and family, things like that. But let's talk specifically about that temptation of the finder. So what is a finder? A finder is somebody, who is not licensed, so they are not a series seven or a series 22, they don't carry a a securities license that allows them to sell, who would be somebody who would be helping you raise money. Now is every single finder in the world uh, an illegal activity? No, they're not. But it's very easy to slip on the SEC is getting ready to regulate your side. So the things that we look at, there's actually 16 different criteria that are used. But let's use the first case of where Finder was said, oh, okay, that's all right, as sort of like a scale so you have an idea of where it started, and then it's easy to see how it's devolved since then. So the first time it it started was, comes from a no action letter from the SEC in 1991. So a no action letter is where a very smart syndicator writes or a fund or a business writes to the SEC and they say, SEC, now if I did this, are you going to have a problem with it? And the SEC looks at it and they give the general policy of the of the SEC. So around 1991, the Ottawa Senators hockey team hired Paul Anka, uh, famous for being in the Rat Pack, Uh, he was, uh, I believe, a singer uh, and was, you know, very famous. Had a very big Rolodex of people that he knew. So the Ottawa Senators were raising money, and they wanted to. uh, They engaged Paul Anka. And Paul said this, he said, look, I will give you my Rolodex and I will go through name by name and identify those people who I think would be likely to invest with you. They accredi- would probably be accredited investors. They're probably good prospects for you. And you give me some percentage of of who invests. So the Ottawa Senators, being intelligent what they, as they were, and uh, Paul Anka, they wrote to the SEC and they said, now, SEC, if we did this, is this something that uh, that's going to run afoul of the rules and regulations? And the SEC said, no. The reason that we're not going to regulate you on this is even though we're paying you a percentage, which we'll get to in a minute, but even though we're paying you a percentage uh, that the Ottawa Senators are going to be paying you a, sen- uh, a Basically, what translates to a, a performance uh, bonus is that Paul Enka is just providing a Rolodex. He's not contacting them. He's not doing anything other than saying, here is a list of people I think you should contact. And that is okay. At least it was at the time. There has been other uh, no action letters that have come out since or other communications from the SEC that said, you know, we probably wouldn't allow this today. But at that time, they did. So if you, uh, this is your entire scheme, you probably still need to get a no action letter just to make sure that you're still following on a good side of it. Now, why is that? So let's go over the big number one rule. So there's 16 rules, but we're gonna start off with the number one rule. You don't pay anyone performance-based unless they're a broker-dealer. If you think about what a broker-dealer is, they get paid on performance. They get paid a brokerage fee or a commission based on the amount of units that they sell, which is based on the purchase price, right? So they may get five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10% of the amount that they sell to a syndication, a fund, or a business. They are going to get that in terms of fees. Those are fees are paid back to them, and they get to keep them. That is part and parcel. That is like the big test of how a brokerage fee, uh, a brokerage gets paid. Right? And we're talking broker-dealers. We're talking about the people who are licensed with the Series 7 or Series 22 with the sale of these alternative investments. That is the big number one. So, performance fee. Is there a performance fee being paid? Number two is, are they assisting in any way with the transaction? Are they helping facilitate it in some way? Paul Anka just gave a list. So that was barely assisting, but he didn't call them. He didn't say, well, let me help set up a meeting or anything. He just gave them a list. So it fell way below that assisting in the transaction. Now, a broker-dealer, they're doing a huge amount of the assisting in the transaction, right? They're playing a very large role in making it all come together in part, you know, so that they get their fee. So they're not only talking about it and facil- they're they're actively facilitating that transfer of money from the investor to the whatever they're raising capital for. Number three is participating in the discussions between the company and the potential investors. If the if the meeting between Paul Anka was like, well, investor, let's get them on the phone right now and, and have them tell you what, what it was going on. And they, they put them on the phone and everybody's staying there on a conference call, that would be like participating in the whole discussion. Or if they're part of the email chain going back and forth, that's part of the discussion. So that's number three. Number four is engaging in a pre-screening of potential investors. Now, Paul Anka didn't really pre-screen. He just went through his Rolodex list and said, these are the people I think that are there. He didn't do anything with those investors to pre-screen them. He didn't call them and say, is this something that you would be likely to invest into? Or are you an accredited investor? pre-selling, the, uh, engaging in that pre-selling activity, contacting investors and say, if this were to come in the market, is this something that you'd be invest- interested in? Number six is conducting or assisting with the, that sale, right? So actually conducting that sale itself, uh, either you know in some manner, are they assisting in doing that? That's certainly a broker-dealer activity. Number seven is providing advice related to the value of the securities, right? Paul Anka didn't pick up the phone and say, well, you know, this would make your investment, you know, X number of dollars, which would represent 10% of of the Ottawa Senators hockey team, or, you know, which is a good value for for where it is in the market. Or it wasn't, uh, you know, if it was a, a real estate transaction, it wasn't, well, I think that those that, that a building like that would be worth X number of dollars so I can see how they could hit their target. That's providing that assistance on what the value of that would be. Uh, number eight is locating issuers of securities on behalf of investors. So this is a dangerous ground. This goes all the way back to our discussion of putting together funds of funds. Start look if you're if you're locating the issuers of securities, like representing a fund of funds, which is fine taking those investors and looking for opportunities in order for them to invest into it starts starting to smell like a, a being a broker dealer. So that's why this is a critical one for you. Number nine is handling customer funds and securities. So if the, if, the syndica- if the finder is getting the money and then giving that money over to uh, the fund itself, that's a problem. Now, where I see this as a problem a lot of times is this question. So um, Tilden, I've got a, uh, a bunch of people who run LLCs that are collecting money and they wanna get paid some sort of fee. This is why this doesn't work. So is this particular part right here. They're handling the funds. So the funds are coming into them they're not only is the, is that person who wants to get paid a fee getting paid a performance fee, but they're also handling the funds directly as the runner of this LLC. They're kind of putting together a fake fund of funds, which really is to invest in this single fund. That is something, that is a broker-dealer activity. It is not an activity for a finder that would be outside of regulation. Uh, number 10 is soliciting securities transactions. So this is the the situation where that finder is putting ads up on their own. So not only are you doing it, but also your finder is out there putting up ads as well. They're not the sponsor, they cannot do this. Now I've seen this happen with, with not clients I've represented, but on the internet you'll find people who are advertising And that in itself is okay, maybe. If it's somebody just putting together a sales funnel or something like that, it's probably okay. It's as soon as they start charging that performance fee, Uh uh-uh, we're way inside the realm of broker-dealer. Number 11 is disseminating quotes for securities or other pricing information. So this is, well, the units cost $1,000 a unit and they're raising up to this amount. Uh, but maybe you can get a new minimum uh, amount or whatever that uh, communication it is. Communication of sales price. If you think about real estate brokerage, for example, this is another example. This is just an example that isn't the same thing, but it's very related. You can't have somebody, an unlicensed person, go into a house, show a house, and say the price they're asking is $1 million for this house. That immediately becomes something that is, requires a license in order to do it. Same thing here. You need a license in order to provide that sort of sales information. Number 12, actively rather than passively finding investors. Now, Paul Anka completely passively, right? these were just people that he knew that were in his Rolodex he was not actively going out and finding investors now i have people who will active hire people who will actively go out and find investors the only way you can do this is to pay a very uh, pay a flat fee or pay something that is so removed from performance that it just doesn't look like a broker-dealer activity at all. It's, hey, this person was interested in that kind of investment is very different than, hey, this person is very interested in your investment and uh, wants to buy seven units. Uh, number 13 sending a private placement memo, uh, subscription agreement, any kind of due diligence, anything like that is engaging in the assisting of uh, the, the sponsor in order to raise the money so the issuer uh, so they're raising they're putting together info into the hands of the investor through themselves rather than having the sponsor do it. Uh, number 14 is assisting on portfolio allocations in order to accommodate an investment. So this would be the, well, I think we need to, you should, I know that you, you uh, your portfolio is, you know, 60, 40, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, but in today's market, you really should be 40, 40, 20. Uh, so sell off these stocks and put these 20 in alternative investments like this one. Uh, that would be the uh, engaging in something certainly something a broker dealer could do should do um, uh, but there they would be getting uh, rightfully compensated here they cannot. Uh, number fifteen, providing an analysis. So this would be go, taking getting the documents or getting whatever it is and providing what their opinion is on whether or not they that an investment should. Uh, should be invested into. Now, can can you have somebody who does that for them? Sure. Should they be related to you? Definitely not. Should you pay them? Absolutely not. So if they go to their uncle, who's an accountant, not licensed with the SEC, and says, Hey, can you look at this document for me? And they look it over and they say, Yeah, looks good. I've done the underwriting alongside with you. That's totally okay. You're not paying them any money. So it's okay. It's outside of being a broker activity. And then number 16, providing potential investors with confidential information, identifying other informa- other investors and their uh, and their capital commitments. So this is a, this certainly happens at a much bigger scale. doesn't really happen much at the smaller scale. Uh, mostly it'd be something like, hey, these hey family office, These other family offices I found out have invested this amount of money. So you should invest that amount of money too. So those are the 16 big things when it comes to to finders that will get you into trouble, any of that kind of activity. I mean, really the main question that you should ask yourself is how are they getting paid? Because if you answer that question that they're getting paid based on their performance or based on how much it gets full, It's probably not allowed. Now, who can get that paid? Well, certainly the people who are putting the sponsorship together, the sponsors themselves, the officers of that sponsorship company, really are kind of getting paid based on that performance. And that is okay. They are allowed to do that. But outside of that, it's not. Now, the gray area that oftentimes occurs is bringing people into the officers of the sponsor in order to get them in. Now, you got to do a gut check on yourself, the more they look like they're a proper part of your organization, the safer you're going to be from negative regulation. So regulation that is looking at you in a a disfavorable light. If they're really just brought in just to raise money, it's not going to fly and it will be sniffed out very, very quickly. My name is Tilda Muschietti. I am a syndication attorney with the Muschietti Syndication Law Group. Now, if we can help you navigate these areas, be in compliance with the SEC, that is what we're here for. We're helping to make you successful as a syndicator, fund manager, business trying to raise capital, whatever that is, and be in compliance with the SEC and the states so that you can do what you do best, which is putting together the syndication, putting together the fund, doing your business in order to make investors money. That's the end goal. Regulators want you to be able to do that. They want you to be able to raise that money so that you can do it. They just need to make sure you're doing it properly and within the rules. That's their job. So again, Tilda Moschetti. Muschietti Syndication Law Group, if you need help with your Regulation D Rule 506B or 506C offering, don't hesitate to give us a call.